<clears throat> so I'd like to give a little reflection and then we have time for, for Q&A. And, and then after that, uh, time for another meditation and then we have to wrap up down here. And those who want to stay on, we have to move upstairs in a different hall. And as a, as a kind of uh, transition, we're going to do a walking meditation. So we have it all kind of thought through. And it's just in support of the evening, which is happening here tonight. There's an evening where they, they do um, make music, so they need to set up special equipment. And that's why we need to move up to the, to the other hall. And, uh, you know, I wanted to connect with where Ayanna Bodhi has left off. She was guiding us uh, in um, metta meditation, and she was speaking about it, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, we are imagining the, the light or the lamp of metta in our heart area. And then she said, you know, awareness or mindfulness is the fuel for the lamp. You know, whenever we get hijacked into thinking about the past and the future, hopes and fears, all the stories, you know, habitual stories we have gotten used to, then <coughs> the lamp gets really small and dull, you know. And then when we drop that and come back to the sensation of the meta in the heart area, then the, the light of the lamp increases for that moment, you know. So that's the, the point is... It's about, you know, stepping out of the storyline and coming to the sensation of metta in the heart, in the chest. It's very, very simple and, you know, nothing special. And that is exactly why it's not so easy to stay with it. You know, our minds are much more used with some very, uh, you know, enticing scenarios, stories about stories of fear and stories of hope, you know, as you have all seen over your lifetime, I'm sure, you know, and I'm not exempt from this. I might look a little bit different than you do in terms of my outfit, but my mind works just the same way as yours, you know, and I know it's really not easy, you know, to let go of these habitual stories. They are so kind of convincing and they have such power, you know, of Attraction, because we are so simply because the power of habit, you know, the power of habit is is just incredibly difficult to underestimate, really, because it's it's really strong, and this is why this practice, you know, is is a lifetime practice. It's not that we're just doing it, you know, for a little while, and then this is, a, you know, what I thought in the beginning. I just thought, oh, you know, now I know you know, all thoughts and all feelings and so on and so forth are impermanent and now I have the magic key, you know, and now I'm going to be, within a very short time, I'm going to be done with this, you know. But it has turned out to be quite different, you know. It's an ongoing project. It's an ongoing work. And then over time, you know, it, it does make a difference. But we can only see that in hindsight, really, you know. And sometimes, you know, there is a breakthrough also right now happening. You know, there's suddenly a feeling of ease and a feeling of of confidence, you know. But sometimes it's not like this. And, and the point is you do not stop 
um, practicing. That's really the point, to not collapse, you know. And uh, this is, you know, why day-longs like this and retreats are really very, very nourishing because we can do this together, you know, as a group. We can do this together as a community. And, and you know, even we all have our own private, you know, scenarios going on, but in terms of process, we're all going through the same. And we all are struggling with these habitual patterns, you know, of interpreting our experience because we just simply don't want to be with the simplicity of our present experience because it's kind of scares us, you know. There's this feeling of groundlessness, you know. There's this feeling of um, not knowing what's going to happen next, yeah. But that's the way it is, you know. And the meditation practice is all about familiarizing ourselves with it. And through that familiarization, we lose a certain amount of the of the fear, you know, of the uh, aversion, of the kind of, you know, not wanting to be fully with it. And rather going into some stories. And the stories, they are often quite kind of very, very destructive, much more destructive and much more painful than just the present moment experience. You know, that is something which needs we need to learn through practicing it, you know. And uh, it was a very lovely, a beautiful example Anna was saying about the lamp, you know. It's the the awareness you put depending on how much awareness you you put, you know, the equivalent of the brightness and the warmth of the lamp will be the result of it. You know, if you put a little, there'll be a little. If you put a lot, there'll be a lot. Simply. You know, what you put in is what, what comes back to you. And so Ananda Bodhi was speaking about this in, in terms of what's called the four Brahmaviharas, the you know, the, the practices which are known as metta, loving-kindness, what another body was guiding us in, but then there's also karuna and compassion, or, or compassion, then uh, uh, mudita or uh, sympathetic joy or gladness or, you know, rejoicing in the good fortune of others. And the last one is Upeka or equanimity and equipoise. So those four, you know, they are called the four Brahmaviharas, the the warm practices. And they are they are done in the way Ayanala Bodhi was guiding us before. They are like a, you know, embracing what is fully and just like letting it be as it is and just making space for it, you know. And, you know, making the mind really big and allowing it to just be there. And through that, you know, it starts to lose some of its of the sharp edges and it starts to melt and, and starts to kind of um, ease. That's one way, you know, of how we can uh, practice by embracing everything as it is and, and just bringing this warmth to it, you know, letting it be there and not turning away from it in 
create hatred and delusion, just like being with it. And, you know, because it's a warm practice, we, we give this kind of warmth to ourselves. And then if we have given it to ourselves, it's much easier also then to meet others in that same way. So that's a, a very important part of the practice, the, those four Brahma-viharas. And then on the other hand, we have the, the Vipassana practices, or insight practices, and and the, you know they also start with bringing awareness, bringing mindfulness to our present moment experience, and taking and taking an interest. But it's you know the Brahmavihara practices is more like an embracing what is, and the insight practices is more like a penetrating into what is, you know, looking at it is inquiring into it. And I just, you know, wanted to speak a little bit about that now. And, uh, you know, in terms of the early teachings of the Buddha, there is a list which is called the the seven factors of enlightenment. And and that's a a way, you know, how we can, um, you know, lay out the structure for this uh, Vipassana or inside meditation practice. For example, you know, we are sitting down and then bringing awareness to the body, sitting and, and breathing in and breathing out, and, and uh, really taking an interest in it and uh, inquiring into it. And that brings in the second factors of enlightenment, which is called um, investigation. So just investig- or investigation of dhammas, exactly speaking. Dhamma it's called in the Pali language. Just, you know, really paying attention to your experience and maybe noticing, you know, how, how, you, how, it, how you feel right now in the body. And then by bringing, you know, this attention to our experience, we arouse a certain amount of energy. This would be the third of the seven factors of enlightenment. So... Mindfulness, investigation of dhammas, and then energy is, is, is aroused through attending to your experience, really. Energy is aroused. It's called virya in the Pali language. And then, you know, if we can stay with that process, because we are, you know, we are having that feeling, yes, you know, I can, I can do this practice, because energy is naturally... You know, coming forth once you uh, understand your own experience better, and then through through this, um, you know, feeling that we are really connecting with our experience, uh, an amount of of joy is also coming forth. You know, this a feeling of confidence that yes, you know, I can practice, I can see. You know, I can see in my own experience how the Dhamma is working. And then if there is a certain amount of joy there, a certain amount of satisfaction and well-being, you know, with our own practice, then the whole body and mind system starts to, to settle down, starts to become tranquil. And that's the fifth factor of enlightenment. Tranquility. A pasadi in the in the Pali language, 
and and for example, you know, if you look at your own body and mind right now, in comparison when you came in in the morning, I'm sure you can feel there's a much more settledness now here, you know. Simply because of those factors of enlightenment, they are working their, you know, their, their law of nature, basically. We don't have to, you know, pull them or make them happen. We are just, you know, put, we are just starting with the practice by setting up mindfulness, and they naturally arise. So tranquility is the fifth one, as I said. And then if we can stay awake, you know, not falling asleep, then it starts to kind of... Um, the, the, the tranquility of the body starts to also translate into a, a stillness of the mind. And in a Pali language, that's called samadhi, stillness or collectedness of the mind. So the mind can stay much more easy, you know, with what's happening. So that was the sixth one. And then the last and the seventh one, which sets in then, is called upeka or equanimity or equipoise. You know, the mind is really kind of is still and and um, st- steady, has equanimity, and because of that, you know, we can we can ent- attend even more to our experience. There's even more mindfulness or awareness there, and then you know, it strengthens that whole cycle of those seven factors of enlightenment. It gets stronger and stronger and gets deeper and deeper into our experience and we can see ever more clearly, you know, how the body and the mind work. And because of the seeing clearly, we have more capacity to stay with it because we are less, you know, we are less uh, shaken about by what's happening in the body and in the mind. That's what equanimity is all about, you know, this capacity to just be with what's happening and having having the courage and having the confidence that we can be with this. You know, that meditation is not about having a different experience, but meditation is about being fully with your experience and because of that getting to know it and then things start to change. But first, you know, we have to really uh, allow it to show itself. And for that, you know, we need to pay attention and we need to be um, steady and we need to be able to open to our experience and then let it show itself to us. And those seven factors of enlightenment, you know, are like a a structure, you know, how, how that process can be understood, you know, how it naturally unfolds. But just, you know, putting in the first element, mindfulness. And then it just naturally, like a domino effect, really, you know, it just starts to kick up the first and then it just tuck, 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 falls into place, you know. So that's, you know, a very important sequence to, to understand. 
because it it makes it so very clear, you know, that uh, it's not required that, you know, having a blank mind in the meditation. But what is really important is to be willing to to attend to your experience fully. So I was wondering, you know, if, if you have any questions about what we were sharing today or any comments or if you want to share some of your own experience. And we have two microphones, which if you ra- raise your hand, we can bring them to you. Yes. Okay. Sometimes I have what feels like a thud in mood and energy. Something that I've I've observed, I react physically to it. And and I don't I don't I've 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 observed a behavior that I do and that and anyway I and then it's hard to get out of it get out of the story that I'm telling or the regret um, thud, what, what does that mean? a thud did you say? I said a, it's a big drop mm-hmm. is that what you're asking? Uh-huh. I, I wasn't sure if I understood yes. that was the is question yeah. Yeah. that was the word, I wasn't quite sure either so, yeah. so you, internally you feel you're dropping yes huh? Yeah. I mean a whole change in mood and mm-hmm. and physically too and I mean what I know to do is meditate forever but in the moment or the hour or the, while that story is going on um, help I'm not 100% sure if I know what you mean you, if you have this internal feeling of dropping down or are you right it's just a mood feeling okay and then feeling not okay mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. whole mental picture has changed and my mood has changed mm-hmm. and and I've and it doesn't feel good and I don't want it that way that's the thing right. that's the important right. bit right yeah I, 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 I'd like to do it faster <laughs> than sometimes I am do you want that no I think that is, I'm really glad that you elaborated a little bit and you ended with and it doesn't and, and it, you don't like the way it feels and you don't want it to be that way because that's the point yeah. uh, that's where the dukkha arises yeah, I mean, just saying that and you smiling, I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that it's a shared experience also. It's, it's familiar. So, you know, and that's what the mind does. It goes through many different moods. And uh, one of the foundations of mindfulness is mindfulness of mind states, where we can see, you know, is the mind bright and, and expansive? Or is it contracted? Is it is it depressed? You know, is it is it fearful so we get to know the state of the mind and the more we can just be with that and know it then the more okay it all is you know so I I felt quite resonant when you were speaking because I I used to get a lot of depression when I was younger and now I just get a little tiny bit every now and again just to remind me what it's like (laughs) and um, and it would be like that like you just kind of fall into this this pit you know I could be in there for a long time and then but always at some point you come out again and once I realized that that 
even however however deep it goes and however long you might be hanging out in that horrible place, it's going to change. Once I really understood that, then then there's like there's a, there's a sort of a willingness. It's still it's not nice, you know. You don't want to be depressed, but there's like a willingness to be with it, and and then gradually a sense of interest, you know, like okay, so what is it? What is it like? What does it feel like? How does it affect me? You know, like you say, physically it affects one's body, and you feel heavy and. And you're not able to think in the same way, and and you're not you don't have the same um, social, you know, engagement or interest as you do when you're not in that state. And so, but then you just get to know, oh, that is the nature of depression. It's like that, and it has that voice that tells you it's going to be like this forever, and it's always been like this, and and that's what depression is, and it changes. So you know, um, the the most powerful tool, if we can. To bring to any kind of mind state is just to know it, to know it really for what it is. And I found it was, it took years, you know, it was like years of, of doing this, of going, being with it and watching it and, you know, sometimes just being completely incapacitated for a couple of days and then it's shifting and then I can pick things up again. And, but over time, the, the awareness itself was, was able, to, and probably a few other things, um, helped to re- release the, the, um, the energy that was pushing everything down. So often, like, depression is connected with not wanting to feel something, not wanting to feel, perhaps, anger, I think, in my place, my situation. Not wanting to feel anger because I don't know what to do with it, so push it down. And uh, and when you describe that about dropping in, you know, things are really okay, and then, boom, you drop into this. It's it, What comes to me is maybe that you need to take an interest in that. I don't mean indulge in it, yeah. hang out in it but like yeah, be curious it's because there's something it's there's something that needs to be known that's that if you keep dropping in there and then we can stay in that for a while but you can't stay in that all the time being physically tired could contribute mm-hmm. as well yeah. so that's just low energy then you just know oh low energy you know and then it doesn't have to turn into a oh gosh I've got this terrible thing and you know when the when the body's tired the mind is also tired and you know, I know when I'm tired, I'm also grumpy, you know, I'm irritable. And that's because there's not enough energy. And so so you get to know your, you know, how you work here, and then you work within that. Rather than having some idea of you should always be like this, and oh, now I've dropped, and I was bad or wrong, or everybody else is wrong or something. It's just not enough energy. Can't generate a good feeling right now. Thank you. <laughs> Hi. Uh, this question probably can get very convoluted very quickly, so I'll try and keep it straightforward. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, partly around desire of something that's serving me right now and feels wonderful, but it's not where I want to go in the future. Um, uh, and I don't know that what I'm get, having right now is blocking what I want in the future. Is that clear? No. No? <laughs> I'm trying to avoid specifics. That's why it's not clear. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> I'm loving somebody right now that will not be in my life in the future. Um, and we're both uh, interested in Buddhism and have lots of wonderful things going on, but it's uh, not what I'm going to want for myself in the long run. 
And um, I find myself uh, rather obsessing about it during um, my meditating. And so I was obsessing today. I thought, what's underneath that? Fear. What's underneath the fear is longing. Um, What's underneath that? Wanting to belong. So it's multi-layered. And um, so is letting go of something that's wonderful in order to get something in the future? Is that what needs... I'm not asking for an answer, but maybe I am. I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> I think, you know, you... I mean, I don't know... I can't, it's hard to answer a question one doesn't really know what the scenario is, but uh, somehow, it's, you know, you weigh it up. You have to weigh it up. You know, what's what's more important and, and then and then just act accordingly you know yeah I think somebody I'm behind also, I mean also just to say you know, every, every, yeah. everyone we love everyone we have a relationship with and everyone we love is not going to be forever we're going to be parted so there's this idea, it's like, you know, I only do this if it's going to be like for the rest of my life. And who knows how long the rest of one's life is going to be. So uh, if it's good and it's harmless and it's beneficial to you both, no problem. Forget about it for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I think Elga, that behind is somebody. Okay, sure. So first of all, I just want to thank both of you for being here today. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you. Uh, the Dharma just flows so freely from you. It's wonderful. Um, you were talking earlier about um, investigating and tracking things back. So if you notice deep conditioning, how do you, you know, skillfully investigate and track that back? Mm-hmm. Well, we might all have different ways of doing that. Um, for me, um, it would be like I notice a pattern of, of thinking or, or sometimes just a, like an attitude, a way of looking at things. And then, I mean, I don't know if it actually works for anybody else, but what works for me is I just, I just go back to, you know, this little baby that was born from my mother's womb that was just wide open, wide open, taking it all in, just like, wow. And at, when at that time there wasn't all of that conditioning hadn't started yet, mm. most of it maybe there was a little bit, uh, and and then you know gradually over time things got conditioned in certain ways because of the environment that I was in and the people I was with and their views and their values and their wounds and all of that, and and then that became not just learnt but also a visceral experience, mm. and so. What I what I tend to do is, is like I notice something that's that's um, maybe a habit of reaction, a shutting down or a pushing away or a or a zoning out or whatever it might be, and and or it can be more detailed than that. And then I look like, well, what's going on there? Where does that come from? And I kind of just look back, and then I can see. And also, I, I am. <laughs> You know, I've been a nun for a long time, most of my adult life, and, and um, so I left my family, you know, my, my, 
I didn't have a family, but my you know parents and siblings and so on. And then I've gone back every year since I've been in the US. It's like every couple of years. So I'm mostly not with my family. Then I go back and spend time with my family. And and there's something to, to visit. And there's something each time because it's sort of a little bit fresh in some ways. I see certain things. It's like, oh, that's where I get that from. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, or ouch, there's that trigger again. And so it's it's like it, it's part it's part of the practice. It's part of the the, the um, unraveling of the sense of self in a good way. And so then you start to recognise those conditionings rather than you know getting all snied up in them. You're just like, oh yeah, of course. And then you know maybe I see like. Oh, you know, like I've had times over the last year where I've felt like, oh, my my father is in the monastery. You know, it's really not it's not appropriate. <laughs> he shouldn't be in the monastery. You know, and it's like because it's coming through. So, um, so that's you know, just like that. You just uh, for me, what works is just to go back, but to, to before most of it was formed, and then see when it started somewhere. Oh, there was that thing that happened. Oh, there was that thing. Well, those sequence of things that I didn't know how to deal with then and shut down around. Or, you know, and then once you know it, there has to be a certain amount of compassion. You know, once you know it, it's like okay, you know, some compassion for the for the the one, the little one or whatever that didn't know what to do, and also for the you know the family or the environment who also was, was struggling with their things. You know, we all none of us are enlightened. You know. So, um, just like the certain compassion, so they're not trying to judge or or blame anyone, but just to understand. And then, in understanding, through understanding, then there's there's a sort of like a it's like a pulling out of a thread, and things start to fall apart. And the the, the solid stories, and just to see the causes and conditions. Causes and conditions. Yeah. There's also a chant that we do very often that, uh, if, you, if you don't mind me mentioning the word karma, uh, that says, I am the owner of my karma, heir to my karma, born of my karma, related to my karma, abide supported by my karma. And karma is uh, action with intention, that's what it means. Whatever karma I shall do for good or for ill of that, I will be the heir. So we used to chant that like every day or pretty much like frequently. And then one day I, I sort of just suddenly realized what it said. It was like, oh my goodness, you know, I am the owner of my car, born of, related to, you know. It's like, so there's, there's uh, when, I, when I sort of really got that, it was like there's a welcoming of the conditioning. Okay, this, is, this, this belongs to me. I, I inherited this, the good, the, good and the, the good, the bad and the ugly of it belong to me and now it's my work to transform what needs to be transformed and gather the strength that's also come through it and do the work thank you so much I'd like to begin also by thanking you for um, this day which at, I'm feeling is just a culmination of your lifetimes of practice and then sharing it with us. Thank you. Yours too. <laughs> yes, I don't deny that. <laughs> um, my question has to do with I'd like to hear more about Santi. What? More about Santi, Sati, Sati. Sati. You, were, Sati. You, Sati. you mean mindfulness, awareness. 
Yes, the awareness mm-hmm. of something before the mindfulness, I think. I, no, I but this, wasn't clear what I heard yeah. earlier. I think sati, you know, santi actually means peace, you know, and sati means is, is mindfulness or awareness. And, and that's, you know, what we are training in the meditation. And there's, uh, um, you know, the classic meditation instructions in the Pali Canon uh, speaking about the four foundations of mindfulness uh, you know and the first and I think we mentioned it a little bit today but I, I, I repeat it again can't hear it often enough the first foundation is body you know just like being aware of the sensations like the pressure the heat the tingling the cold all of that sensations then the second foundation of mindfulness is feelings. Simply, you know, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. You know, like there is a sensation in the body, let's say, uh, tingling. That's, that's, and, and then I can also look at it in terms of feeling. And I can say, you know, in terms of the first foundation of mindfulness, the experience is tingling. In terms of the second foundation of mindfulness, the experience is pleasant, let's say. Yeah? And then the third foundation of mindfulness is mood of the mind, you know, flavor of the mind in the present moment, which can be, let's say, contracted or spacious or greedy or ill will, you know, those different flavors of the mind, like when you go in an ice cream shop, you know, there's all of those flavors, and you're just like naming the flavor, you know, without going into detail. That's the third foundation of mindfulness, you know, uh, foundation of the mind. First one is kaya, body. Second one is vedana, feeling. Third one is chitta, mind state. And then the fourth one is phenomena, you know, which arise and cease in the mind. And for example, when I was speaking earlier on about the seven factors of enlightenment, you know, that's a list of phenomena we can look at the mind in that way, you know, going through those seven factors of enlightenment and seeing, you know, which one is present in the mind and which one needs to be encouraged to come forth. And there's like different lists, you know, in the in the fourth foundation of mindfulness. It's called foundation of dhammas. Dhamma, you know, dhamma with a small d is lowercase d, you say, isn't it? Yeah, that's uh, a phenomena. And, and dhamma with a capital D, that's the, the dhamma is the teaching of the Buddha or the uh, laws of nature. Does that help? So, you know, so there's those four foundations of mindfulness and then you can train your capacity, you know, for mindfulness by using any of those four foundations of mindfulness, you know. And there is no experience you can have which isn't in one of those four foundations, you know. So it's, you know, there's no experience whatsoever which doesn't fit in one of those four and what they all have in common is in the teaching, you know, where we are speak, we were speaking about the three characteristics, we say 
all of those phenomena which fit into those four foundations of mindfulness, they are all impermanent. They are all, you know, unstable because of being impermanent. They are unsatisfactory. We can't rely on them, you know. And they all, you know, they are all empty of a self. That means, you know, they can't be pinned down in any way because they arise and cease in their own way. So that's, you know, and that's like, you, you could say, that's one way, you know, how we can, um, I was speaking about the seven factors of enlightenment before, that's one way, you know, how we can uh, can present, you know, what we pass on our inside meditation is all about. It's, you know, bringing mindfulness to those four foundations of mindfulness and then seeing them for what they really are, you know, they are impermanent, they are unsatisfactory and they are empty of a self. This is what is seen you know, on an ever deeper level of the heart and the mind. And that deep seeing you know, is liberating, so to say. You know? And that's what we were doing today. You know? And that's what, what we're always doing when we are meditating, basically. And there's, you know, there have been many different subtypes of, of meditation approaches developed over time because you know, different people had success with different ways of doing it. But in the, in the end of the day, it all comes back through having seen clearly you know, the impermanence, the unsatisfactoriness, and the emptiness of self, seeing that clearly, that's what is liberating. You know? And bringing mindfulness to those four foundations of mindfulness is like the the way how these insights are cultivated, you know. Does that make sense? Yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. It's pretty simple. It's just not easy to do, you know. <laughs> it's not rocket science, but, you know, to stay, it's a lot of, to stay with the... Uh, Aversion to what's you know being with the simplicity of the experience. <laughs> that's the that's the issue, you know. Yeah. Hi, you guys. Um, thank you so much for your teachings. You guys are rock stars, um, <laughs> and I also appreciate um, that this is donation based. I think that makes it so much more accessible to people. Um, you know, that that don't make that much money. So I appreciate that. Um, my question is: Is if we're if we're do, if I'm performing a meditation, um, let's say mindfulness of breath or mindfulness of body vipassana or something like that, and an emotion comes up or something comes up where I I I would be inquiring about it, um, shall I do that during that meditation, or would you would you suggest that I, I set that aside for a minute and go do a separate contemplation meditation afterwards? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It depends a little bit on what the intention of your meditation is and, and what you're doing in your meditation. So, um, so like mindfulness of breathing, the, the, the instruction you know, in the suttas around mindfulness of breathing is specifically like you put aside all of those things. You leave them at the door and then you come in and you practice mindfulness of breathing and it, it is really focused on that and that you're not, you're not really making the space for those things to... to um, to come in and take over, let's say, the, the attention. With, that's with mindfulness of breathing. But say if you're practicing the four foundations of mindfulness in its more broad way, broad terms, um, 
then there's this beautiful so the, the four foundations of mindfulness you've got this beautiful uh, fluidity in some ways so like you begin with a particular practice and so you stay with that so maybe mindfulness of the body and you're with that practice and then as you're mindful of the, of the body something is released and a, and a strong emotion comes up so then, you know, it may, it may be, you can just explore a little bit and say, okay, let's just put that to one side and stay with the body. And then it's like, no, it wants to be a scene. So it's like, okay, so now you, you they're all, it's all part of this, they're all, as I essentially says, the full foundation of mindfulness cover everything. So whatever comes up, it's still an object of mindfulness. So then you shift from the body being central to the body being peripheral and the, and the, the feeling or the, mind state perhaps or mind objects whichever one it might land into that becomes central and then you pay attention to that so then and then you just let that be known you investigate you're 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 interested until that's done what it needs to do and maybe then you can go back to the body again but in that practice you're not at any point leaving the four foundations of mindfulness you're just what's central to that is is changing and there's a very beautiful Diagram, which always makes me happy when I see it, that Venerable Analio drew. Well, in he he wrote he, this monk, who, German monk, who wrote a thesis on the four foundations of mindfulness. In the back of this book, there's this, this just little diagram, which looks like a flower. And uh, you know, in the, so in the centre is the is the main thing that we're putting into. You know, we would say, for example, body, or it might be breath, or it might be feeling. So, but what, there's the central one, and then there's all of the other aspects of foundations of mindfulness that the mind can go to so it might be with the body and then it goes goes into the say the elements for a while and then it comes back to the body again and then it maybe goes out to the feelings and then it comes back to the body and so it can go out like like a, like petals of a flower to all these different aspects of the foundations of mindfulness but it never but you're never losing the actual practice of the foundations of mindfulness and, and that one is in the center and then at some point another one might be just feel like no no this needs to be central so then so then what was central becomes a petal and what was a petal becomes central if you know what i mean so. great thank you so much Um, what I loved about the uh, meta was the warm, glowing lamp in the heart. It made it very palpable, and it kind of made, got me thinking about the temperature. And I was like, "Well, equanimity is kind of cool." Mm-hmm. And and I'm wondering if you can elaborate a little on compassion as distinct from meta, with flavor, temperature, qualities, or something like that. Yeah. So, um, you know, the example for, because also speaking about Venom Analeo, he came up with those examples, you know, with the sun, uh, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was comparing meta is like the sun at noon, you know, which shines the same on, on everything, you know. And then compassion is, is the sun at sunset, you know, which is, is coming down to those who are currently, you know, less fortunate than ourselves. And then, then there's like um, uh, the, um, the uh, sympathetic joy is like the sun rising in the morning, you know, coming up and, and um, 
reflecting in all of the dewdrops and all of the brilliance of that. That's more like, you know, when we have, when we have, uh, when we rejoice in the success of others. And then Ubeka, he compared it to the full moon, you know. It uh, doesn't have the direct light of the sun, the direct warmth, but indirect through the moon. And in terms of, of uh, another example he gave as well, you know, it's like, um, compassion is like, uh, you know, um, the laugh of a mother who whose child is sick and, and she'd like to happily take on the suffering of the child, you know, if only the child is well, you know, and, and then sympathetic joy would be the child, you know, maybe winning an award or so and the mother feeling really kind of great, you know, in can feel a lot of joy through the, through the joy of her child. And then the equanimity is like the... Uh, you know the laugh of a of a grandmother. She doesn't have to directly, you know, maybe take charge of the education of the child, but indirectly, you know, she is involved, and so she is less. She doesn't need to punish the child, maybe, or not, doesn't need to point out things. So it is a different kind of a laugh, you know. There's more ease in it, and also the knowing of, you know, you can't really make, you can't really. You have to kind of be be with the child and let it go through making mistakes, you know. And that's how we have all learned, and that's how the child will learn too. You know, it, it's a so these different kinds of love, you know. And uh, and it's you know the best way to to do it in the practice, like Anna Bodhi was teaching, is to just bring up an image, you know, and then you get like a a reaction in the heart, you know, and and then you'll, you you can feel the difference, you know. That's how you you can learn the different. The different. It's very hard to describe. You can use those images I was just using, you know, but really you have to know in your own experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, when you were talking about the battle, the battles of yes. um, the different phases, hmm. is that all within one meditation that you're switching, or is it over a period of time, having moving back in another meditation? I suppose it can be both. Yeah, it can be both. So it's not that you know, it's not that you necessarily sit to meditate and then your mind goes to all of those different things, but it's just pointing to. You know, we, we choose, a, with the four foundations of mindfulness specifically with, this, with that practice, we choose a central theme, and the mind does, you know, wander off that theme. Most minds wanders a little bit. And so, and then, but then you, you recognize where it's gone. Where is it? Is, is it a, you know, is it one of the hindrances? Is it one of the awakening factors? Is it a, is it a mood of the mind? Is it a, um, feeling in the body so, so you just recognize where it's gone to and as soon as there's awareness then there's a, then one is meditating basically so it's, and the reason that they're petals so there's the, there's the there's the central part and then the petals are more like you know the mind moves there and then it comes back to that central part and then it moves there oh and it comes back so it's not that one tries to put it through all of those petals but you just notice you're being aware ah oh, so I'm being with the body, being with the body, and then a, a memory arises, which is maybe associated with something, um, 
the mind goes into, uh, for example, um, some thoughts of, of sorrow, and that's kind of under the ill will umbrella, not wanting. So then you see, oh, okay. Once you recognize it, you know, when you're just wandering, you don't recognize it, then you recognize it, it's like, oh, so there's the hindrance of ill will. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's one of the objects of mindfulness. It's this part of the Satipatthana Sutta. And then you notice it, and then you come back to what you're doing. And then it, obviously if the ill will is so strong that it just is taking over, then you bring it into the center. And then you investigate and stay with it. So it's not that you try to create all those petals, but the, the, the field of the four foundations of mindfulness is the whole of that flower, you could say. Thank you. Yeah. You know, as we were saying before, I mean, you can't have any experience which doesn't fit in any of those four, isn't it? Yeah. It's just that we don't, when we don't, when we're not aware, you know, we we we're lost in the story, then we're not practicing. So it's 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 a beautiful practice because basically whatever's going on, when one brings mindful awareness to what is happening and understanding to what is happening, already we're back on the path. And that doesn't mean that we can just feed unwholesome mind states. You know, obviously that's not skillful, but it's, but one can know them know them and, and be and investigate them understand them and let them go I also wanted to say thank you very much for being here it's been very moving for me um, I'm at the beginning of sorry <laughs> I'm just very grateful <laughs> I'm at the beginning of my practice and I was just um, interested in knowing if it's best to start by focusing on the breath or foundations of mindfulness or a meta. Any, any advice? I think usually, you know, focusing on, on the body breathing is, is, is a very good way of starting, you know. I think, you know, just simply the body sitting and breathing in and breathing out. I think that's a very good one to start with, yeah. And then you can, you know, and then if you have, maybe sometimes, you know, have a lot of aversion or so, could be, you know, you could do metta. And, and those two, that is, is very good for getting started. Also for healing, you know, even if you don't have a lot of aversion, the, the metta can be very healing. It's a great transformative practice. Yeah, I think, I think the gentleman in the first row, you see. Thank you both. I'm um, dealing with um, a recent um, loss of a loved one and have um, episodes of... Um, quite intense and painful uh, grief. And my question is, when um, intensely painful emotional states come up on the cushion, there's 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 sometimes a place where um, sit with it, not sit with it. Sitting, not not that you're sitting with with it. It's 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 lifting you and 
<coughs> transporting you. Um, it's um, a wave of engulfing, unfolding, deepening, shaking. The times I, ha I have to get up and do the gymnastics and then come back and w when I'm more settled. And other times where I can sit, sit, where I sit with it and um, and just as I'm talking to you, I'm, I'm sort of uh, noticing that I'm becoming more aware of, you know, again, some aversion that comes up when I'm sitting and, oh, I can't possibly be doing this sitting on the cushion. I need to get up and cry while I'm standing. But it's okay. It doesn't really matter. I mean, whether I'm sitting or standing, I'm crying. But I'm just curious whether there are times that it's just hard to stay sitting mm -hmm. it is hard for me mm -hmm. to stay sitting mm -hmm. and be with it yes I, I really appreciate it as you, as you carried on speaking that you started using that imagery of waves and engulfing because when you first spoke you said I have episodes of grief and I felt like oh they're not episodes, they're, they're waves they're, they're waves of grief that are coming through you and that's how grief is, that's the nature of grief, it comes in waves mm -hmm. and it washes whoa, you know, it washes right through you, it can be like tsunamis sometimes and, and, uh, and that's natural when you've lost someone who you loved and, and who was a big part of your life and so what comes to my mind as I'm listening to you is maybe the sitting has a sense of should be there's a sort of a should in the sitting They're like when I'm sitting I should be mindful of da 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 and then there's this really inconvenient waves keep coming along and blowing it all out you know throwing throwing me completely off track and and the, and I don't know but what comes from it's just something about the sitting posture is it maybe for you is is um, that the that the waves of grief are inconvenient to the sitting. So, you know, the waves of grief are natural and, and they belong and, and they will come and they will wash right through you from time to time and they'll probably get less as time goes by. And, and if you're, you know, practicing with the foundations of mindfulness, you just, you can just know them. You just know it. This is grief and it's like this and it's intense. And whether you're standing or lying down, lie down, you know, for even better. Just let it wash through you and, and know it and know the impact of it, the force of it. The, the, I mean, even the pain is, is, is more painful when we're resisting than when we just let it wash through. There's a, there's a sort of a... It's, it's a, a sweetness is too strong, but it's, there's, a, there's a sort of like a... Because it's, it's tr there's a truth in that grief of like yes I want it and it's gone and it's uh, painful and so um, I, I don't know like I don't think you have to sit maybe you lie down and feel that grief you know and and know that it passes it, it comes through and it's like this and then it's changed and that's like this and just stay with how it is. Know when the grief is there, know when it isn't there, and know the, and get to know if there's any kind of resistance or aversion or judgment of, of, around the grief or around the sitting. Could be either way. 
and just be more like welcoming and interested and, and allow the process. And it's and that and I, I feel like you know it, but I'm just going to say it anyway. That the that's different to indulging, indulging in grief. There's a there's a certain quality of presence that just allows it to be known, and and that's part of the freeing up of, of the whole process, part of the liberation of that. And that's different to if you're holding onto it, wallowing in it, you know, then you're just creating more and more. That's that that is a painful state. You're more of a conduit. Yes, exactly. Open portal. Yeah. yeah. And there's the practice right there. This is a powerful practice. And and then maybe also, you know, remembering you you're doing it for everybody because there's also many other people on the planet with grief, you know, and you are not alone and that's you know, and you can you, you can do that for everybody else who is going through grief, you know, empathizing. Then you don't feel so alone, you know, me and my loss. But more, this is, you know, anybody who has lost mm-hmm. a loved one, you know. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, some, some people might have, you know, heavier losses than you and others less heavier, less heavy than you. And, and what you all experience is, is this, you know, this, this emotion of grief. There's like a strong meta component in it as well. Yeah. It's a compassion as well, isn't it? That's very much compassion. It's like, yeah. you know, I, I'm experiencing this pain and, and so many other people also experience this pain. That's very much compassion. It's like yes, empathy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that's important to kind of bring that home, you know, that you're not alone with this. Yeah. Even it feels like, you know, because nobody has maybe had that particular loss which you had, but the the experience of loss is part of the human condition, isn't it? Yeah. And we tend to forget it, you know, and then it hits us when something happens like this, something so so strong, you know. Yeah. Going over a little bit, but I think it's okay. I think we can do a little yeah, bit more. Yeah. Good. Uh, I just want to share with you what happened this morning to me this morning during your uh, Four Noble Truths talk there. And uh, I have a lot of pain in my back when I meditate, and but I love to meditate. So every time I come to start to meditate, I I think I'm not going to have it, you know. And then all of a sudden it it returns. So by the time you got to dukkha, the pain was there, and uh, I thought, you know, I've heard this talk before, uh, but I thought, well, I'm here. I might as well listen. And. <laughs> And and then you got to the aversion part, and you know the clinging and the pushing away the aversion part, and 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 I'm thinking, how how can I do this? How, I mean, this pain is here. I'm getting really frustrated with it. It's interfering with my practice. I hate it. How am I going to get rid of this aversion? And this flash came, like like I th- thought I needed something really radical, right? And it had to, the non clinging to and. All of a sudden, I got a flash of this pain is blessed, mm. and when I when I said that to myself, when that thought came, it was like there was it, the pain sort of abated. But then I also got a feeling of I can deal with this, and I can deal 
I can deal with it at the dentist. I can, getting old, I don't have to be afraid of when I'm dying, I can't deal with this pain. And then I thought of my friend who has cancer and has lots of pain. And, uh, and, and then I, it, it came, became more concrete in my mind that it's that word, that it's blessed. And so it was, it was, it was, it was wonderful. Thank you. Um, and then I thought, you know, how long have I been working on this? And I, you, I couldn't will it to go away. I can't will not feeling aversion. And so then I thought, well, non-clinging, you can't will away clinging, mm-hmm. clinging, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can't will it away, do you have to just wait for these moments or... or you can, you can investigate, you, you can investigate. So it's a little bit like I was talking about causes and conditions. So you can, there's clinging, there's clinging, and then you, you, know, you can see like what's going on there. Because there's, there's always like fear, there's always wanting or not wanting connected with, with clinging and, and also a sense of identity. The I am, that's where it begins, I am and I want and I don't want. So uh, investigating, for example, feeling, Vedana, sensation, is, is there, is there, you know, is there a, an unpleasant feeling that I want to get rid of? And then just knowing, you know, it's, it's just an unpleasant feeling. And it's changing. And then and if I can really be really present with it, even, you know, lot, I haven't had chronic pain as such, but I've had long periods of pain. And um, through, uh, you know, through accident, having an accident. You know, then if I'm, if I'm with that, actually with it, it's not constant. It's, it's not like, it's not, you know, even maybe the pain doesn't go away, but it's changing all the time it's pulsing or it's vibrating or so it's kind of not constant so then you're, you're breaking down the, the, the thingness of it you're breaking down the substantiality of it and you're with it in the moment and then even just incredible pain that you can't do anything about just becomes can become an object of meditation when there's acceptance so it's not you, you can't you know the, the thing the trouble with wanting it you know the desire to let go of desire and the aversion to aversion, you know, it's kind of complicated, isn't it? So it's, that's why inquiry is, is, the, is the way. So mindfulness and investigation, that's, that's the, those are the first two steps on the path to awakening. Those are the first two factors of awakening. Because it's inquiry that, that starts to, to turn towards and be interested in and to see differently. So if we don't inquire, if we're not interested, then it's just we, we already know. We already know what it is. We've had it for years. It's like this. I hate it. I wish it would go away. And, and it's, there we are. We're just in it. But the inquiry, it gives an opportunity for another reality to arise. So kind of, I don't know, it happened a little bit differently for you, but it did kind of like that. It's something shifted from the story to, you t- it like it's almost like the t- story got t- flipped 180 degrees from being this uh, thing you want to get rid of to a blessing. It's like welcoming. And I'm not sure if I mentioned it in the talk earlier, but um, the, you know, with the first noble truth, there is dukkha. And then there's the three aspects. There is dukkha. Dukkha should be understood. Dukkha has been understood. So each of the four noble 
noble truths has th- have three aspects, and the, and so with the first one, duke, there is dukkha. Dukkha should be understood and has been understood. Our teacher Ajahn Sumedho in England, he would say, it should be understood. Stand under it. Stand under it. Let it let it let it rain down on you. You know, not just like there is dukkha. Oh, okay, ooh, dukkha. You know, keep it keep it out there. Let it, let it run down. You know, let it let it be completely known. And in that knowing, there's already a, there's already a letting go. It leads to letting go. Yeah. And it, you just did it. I mean, you didn't do it. This is the beauty of it. We don't do it. We get out of the way, and, and then it happens. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, it wasn't me. <laughs> so maybe last one. If we can one. do one more. Yeah. Oh, hi. How's it going? Hi. Um, I just want to thank you, too, for... For today, it was, it was awesome. Um, I'm I'm pretty new to mindfulness and meditation and inquiry, um, and I'm I'm really happy to learn to read a lot of stuff and experience and go to th- things like this. However, I, I do have a kind of like uncertain of how much uh, I should really know and leave unknown. Um, like, there's like. You guys mentioned the four no- noble truths. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's something we all know here. And there's just like so so much information and a lot of knowledge, um, which I think some of us, when when you read something, you kind of like have disco- have kind of discovered it on your own a little bit. You haven't put a label on it um, quite yet because uh, you haven't read about it. Um, so I'm kind of just wondering like what you guys like would recommend um, leaving to the to the fi- to the unknown, I guess, and to like know about how much um, is it kind of like a endless cycle of just like reading and learning, or um, I think it's it's just good, you know, to have some basic instruction, and then you start, and then you start to have you know different experiences or insights, and then you get maybe interested to you know to to read about to find books or so we'd speak about those experiences you had. I mean, that's how I started, you know. But I think to have, you know, to have a certain basic understanding about, you know, the essence of the of the teachings of the Buddha is really very, very recommended, you know. So, for example, you know, what I said before, the four foundations of mindfulness, you know, about those maybe, and then the three characteristics, you know, of experience, they are real, and the four noble truths and the noble eightfold path, you could say, you know, that's the... And the five hindrances. And the seven lighter effects. I mean... <laughs> of course, yeah, it, it, it could get endless, yeah. but I think you have to, you know, you just need to start from some, from one corner, and yeah. then yeah. you start pulling on it, and, 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 and then the whole thing comes towards you. Yeah. But I think, you know, starting with, like, as I said to you before, you know, mindfulness of the body and and maybe meta meditation, those two if you start with that. And then you what you what you start to notice first is probably impermanence, isn't it? You know, that the experiences you are when you're looking at the body, mindfulness of the body, what you do notice is the that those sensations you are Watching, you know, or the body breathing. I mean, impermanence is right there. You know, that's usually the first insight to have. You know, and then, 
all that which is impermanent, you know, is unsatisfactory because it's 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 you know it 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 it, it arises and ceases according to its own nature. So I think and to find those insights, you know, kind of listed somewhere, I think that's really helpful, you know, to to um, have that confirmation, you know, that this is not only your experience, but this is a universal characteristic, you know. So I think to have this, have a basic overview about the, the teaching is good, yeah. But then, you know, not getting, and then you could find like, 300 different people laying that out, you know. So then you, I would suggest you go to somebody, you know, you trust and ask for one or two books, you know, what they would suggest, and then you just start from there, you know. It's also, you know, we're, we're all different in the way we uh, approach the teachings, and, and um, you know, if it's, it can be that if we read too much, you know, we get too, because basically the, the teachings are like a map. They're like a map, and then the practice is, is the journey. And uh, it can be if we read too much, we just end up kind of in our head and, and, trying, to, and trying to get places that we, without knowing how to walk yet kind of thing. So um, sometimes it is helpful just to have a little nugget of the teachings and, and really, really take that deeply. And then and see what happens. And you already mentioned that there are things that you've experienced yourself, you know, and then you find them written down somewhere. And so I think what I'm trying to say is, um, and and we normally know through our own, if we if we listen inside, we we normally know, you know, am I the kind of person who's going to try and get those things, try to get to that state, or get that experience in a meditation, or or get that insight or whatever and if that's what we're probably going to do then don't read too much because the path you know we need to know the, the basic the basic essential purpose of the path and, and certain pointers but really the the way the path progresses is through relinquishment it's through it is it's through development and also letting go and and unfortunately there's this we have this language like attainments and you know um yeah, attainment is probably the, the strongest one that, that you hear quite a lot in Buddhist circles and that it gives the sense of somebody who kind of reaches some level you know gets a graduation paper and all that and, and uh, it's really not like that it, it is it is a, it is a, a gradual letting go letting go letting go of, of the obscurations that have developed over our lifetime to see the truth that is sort of always here so um you know, for some people, it's really, really helpful to to get the whole map down. Just as you can, you know, there are some some people who, who want who can do that and get the whole map down. They've got it all in their head. They know where to go and what to do, and that's helpful. And there are others who it just clutters up the mind. It's not helpful. So you kind of have to know. Everybody has to know where where are you beginning, and if for you that's just going to clutter you up, then just put a little bit in so you can take a few steps, and then put a little bit more in. That was for me very important to do it that way. I had to do. I had to just have a little nugget, and okay, I had to stay with that for a long time. And I don't understand that bit of it, but never mind. That will come in time, and I'll just do what I can understand. And gradually, gradually, you know, the more as I understood things, then I would pick up a little bit more, and a little bit more. But to read lots of books and try and get the the whole map would have been a, a total disaster for me. So we're all, you know, we're diff- we're all different, and we just got to know where we're beginning from. 
you know, what our basic nature is and character. I hope that's helpful. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.